the end of June or thereabouts. <clears throat> having looked at the remaining chapters, 18 to 21, back at Easter time. Our theme for this year has been to focus upon the truth that God is at work in our world and we want to be learning how God is at work and how we can join him in the process of working. Um, I want you to uh, bear with me and while we pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that you and the Lord Jesus, through your Spirit, are active in the world. And I pray, Lord, not just for us here this morning as we read and place ourselves under the authority of your Word, uh, but we pray especially for our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, and especially for those in areas where there is devastation and great heartache for the mess that's going on in Nigeria and Syria, for the physical devastation that's happened in Nepal and uh, Vanuatu and the Philippines, and even refugees fleeing Myanmar and the devastation of people on boats at sea who are just lost and without refuge. We live in the land of uh, comfort and security and this morning, Heavenly Father, we pray for these dear folk who are fleeing and who must be absolutely petrified, worried and without hope. And we ask that you might, through us, through your people, bring hope to them. To that end, Lord, you need to equip us. We pray you would equip us through the truths of your word, the truths the Lord Jesus said to his disciples in this passage. And that we might be serious about following you here where we live. Or even if you choose to send us there to a point of great need. So speak to us, shape us and use us to advance the kingdom of Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. John chapter 14. The Lord Jesus speaking to his disciples says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust, you trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, if it wasn't so, then I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I'll take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you are not just my own, rather it's the Father living in me who is both speaking and doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do whatever I have been doing and he will do even greater things than these because I go to the Father. 
this evening we will continue from that point on into the rest of the chapter because Jesus says some amazing things following these amazing things that he says. Verse 13 says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may give glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. An amazing promise, but a consequence of what it means to follow Jesus. The Lord Jesus is in the upper room. This is the, not just the final week, this is the final night of his life, earthly life. He has washed the feet of the disciples. He has announced the betrayal of Judas. And then he proceeds after Judas' departure to embark on explaining to his disciples some of the things that are going to go, that are going to happen when he departs says he's going to leave but he also says he's going to come back and in the meantime he gives various amounts of teaching and then at the end of this chapter chapter 14 he moves from the upper room and he proceeds to advance towards the garden of Gethsemane which is where chapters 15 and 16 occur Jesus still teaching and talking to his disciples when you come to John 17 our final chapter that's the Lord Jesus praying and probably praying in the garden He's going to give further instructions on both who he is, where he's going, the Holy Spirit coming, and so on. The Apostle John gives us an amazing clue. He's the only gospel writer to do it about why he wrote this gospel. He says it in John chapter 20, verse 31, end of the gospel. He says, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the promised one, the Messiah, the coming Lord, that he is God the Son, or the Son of God, And that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. That's why he wrote it. John wrote for an an apologetic reason, a defense or a reason to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's God the Son. Gave reasons for that, explanations of it. But he also had an evangelistic purpose, so that by believing, you may have life, eternal life, in him. It's John who uses the word believe about a hundred times, over more than any other gospel writer. Because that's one of his key purposes. He wants us to believe in Jesus and trust him. And he certainly also wrote to convince those um, who were on the way to discovering and to believing in Jesus about who he is, who was he. And John tells us very clearly that he was God in human flesh, that it was God who became a man, a human, that he was the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, the promised King, the ruler, Lord, and that he is the saviour of the world, which is why he uses the word believe so many times. This one, Jesus, by his death, by his resurrection, and by our trusting him, is the one who was able to forgive us for our sins and who was able to impart to us eternal life, life forever. Not just then, but different life in the here and now. More meaningful life, more satisfying life, a trusting life. And that people are invited to respond to this. Some people accept it, submit to him. Some people refuse, questioning it and reject it. And it's a choice that we have. Well, in this chapter, in John chapter 14, the Apostle John, through the Lord Jesus speaking and teaching, obviously, um, gives us both a command to believe. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God. A command, trust also in me. A command to believe, with both an explanation of the content of what we are to believe, as well as the consequences of believing it. In that first verse, which can be translated slightly different ways, but I think the majority of 
translations these days go that way. The reason why there is question marks is because the Greek phrase, the way it's written in the Greek, can either be a statement or it can be a command. So there could be two statements. Um, you believe in God and you believe in me. Or it could be two commands. Believe in God and believe in me. Or, as most translations, English translations do it, one is a statement, you believe in God, followed by a command, believe in me, the command to believe in me. That's the way I certainly understand it. And as I said, the NIV and others as well. It's amazing because Jesus is placing himself here on exactly the same level as God. You believe, you trust God, well do the same with me. It's an amazing claim. Who else could make such a claim? Well, in this passage, Jesus will go on to say these amazing things. Not only that he deserves equal faith with God, verse 1, but he also says that he is the one who is making a reservation for us in heaven, that he is the one who will return and who will receive us to be with him. Another amazing statement. Not just a comforting statement, but theologically an amazing statement. If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus and you get to go to heaven, then you'll be with God. And Jesus says, when you get to go to be in heaven, you'll be with me. I'll take you to my Father's house, but you'll be with me. He's placing himself on a level of equality with the Father. It's amazing. Verse 6, he's the one who claims he is the exclusive way to God. Verse 7 to 9, he says that he is the one who who is the unique revealer of God that when you look at Jesus, you see the Father. And that he also talks about this incredible union, this intimacy of a relationship with God the Father. And finally, in the bit that we're not doing this morning, but tonight we will, Jesus even claims to be the one who hears our prayers and who answers them. Ask me for whatever you want, he says, in my name, and I will do it. So in this passage, Jesus makes strong claims And also with the implication of consequences. If you follow him, if you trust him, if you believe him, these other things follow. There is a home for you in heaven and he will come and get you and you'll be with him forever. That you'll have this intimacy with this relationship with God forever. Now John has structured this under the inspiration of the Spirit that the disciples are asking Jesus questions. Judas has just left And Jesus makes the statement, this is John 13, verse 33, My children, I'll be with you for a little while longer. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Now it's in response to Peter's question, where are you going, that Jesus gives this teaching in John chapter 14. Going to my father's house, going to prepare a room for you. It's only temporary, I'll come back. I'll receive you to myself and then I'll take you and we will both go to my father's house. Plenty of room room for everybody that's an answer to question peter's question and then thomas says uh, lord we don't know where you're going so how can we know the way thomas's question is one of how peter is where thomas's is how how can we know the way i am the way the truth and the life it's linked with me stay with me thomas stay in relationship with me follow me and you'll get there and then we have philip's question down in verse Eight, Lord, you're talking about going to the Father's house, talking about following you to get there. Show us the Father. What's he like? Who is he? If we're going to spend, we're going to live with him, then show us what he's like. And Jesus says, 
don't you really know me? If you knew me, then you know him. Because we have this amazing connection, this relationship, this intimacy. To hear me is not to hear my words, but to hear the Father's words through me. To look at my works is not to see just my works, but to see the Father working through me. It's him in me, and I am in him. How can you ask Philip, show us the Father? The Father is just like me. You've seen me. You know what he is like. And then we won't get to it, but down in verse 22 you have Judas, another Judas, not Judas Iscariot. He asks the why question. How come, Lord, you, know, you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? It's the disciples' questions that leads to this amazing teaching. Now, sub-point, you know, minus sub-implication of that for us. Do you have questions? Because if you have questions or if you have doubts, you should express them. Because it's when you utter your questions and express your doubts that often you'll find great revelation. You get amazing teaching in the Scriptures that come because people were just honest enough to ask a question and they get the answer. That amazing truth about who is, the question about who is my neighbour leads to the amazing teaching about the Good Samaritan story. We wouldn't have that if somebody didn't come ask Jesus, who is my neighbour? So we wouldn't have this amazing teaching. John 14 is one of the most beloved chapters in all of Scripture. I don't know if it's true of you, but it's certainly true of some, that when you get hold of their Bible and you let it fall open, that some, for some people, their Bible will fall open automatically at this chapter because they read it often, over and over and over, and the binding has been stretched, so it just falls open at that point. I don't know if that's true for you, but it's certainly an amazing chapter, and I think it is a chapter that is read very commonly at funerals, and it's certainly a passage that I use at funerals, because it's Jesus speaking very clearly. Well, let me go quickly through those three questions and then make some application out of this incredible chapter. Peter's question. Where are you going? And he's disturbed. He's upset. Their world is about to change. They've spent, invested three years of their life and it's all about to come crashing down and they're anxious. To which Jesus says, how do you deal with this sort of level of anxiety? Don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God. will continue to do so. In the hard times, trust. I don't know why. I don't know how it's going to work out but I'm trusting that you are sovereign, that you're in control, and that you do have this as part of your plan. It's not an accident, and it's not a fluke, and it's, you're fully aware of it, and you are either allowing it, or in fact, you ordained it. You intended for this to happen, because you're going to achieve your purposes. And then Jesus says, continue to trust in God, but at the same time now, he says, and trust me. Put your trust in me and all the things that I've been teaching you and showing you. I don't give you false hope. I don't lead you up a garden path. Put your trust in me. Here are the facts. This is where I am going. In my Father's house. What is the Father's house? Heaven. And there are lots of pictures for heaven. But in this particular picture, the Lord Jesus seems to describe it either as a palace or a place with many rooms. 
skyscraper motel or something like that. A vast place with many rooms, places to abide. It's not mansions. You're not getting a mansion when you get to heaven. But you are getting a dwelling place. And it just says rooms. It doesn't say how big the rooms are. It could be like prison cells for all I know. But they're places. And the most important thing is that there is a place and there are many, many rooms. And that means that there is room for you. That's what Jesus means. He's not talking about the affluence or the opulence of heaven. He's talking about the adequacy of this place. There's room for everybody, for anybody who wants to come. Room for all. And then Jesus even says, if that wasn't the case, if that wasn't true, then I would have told you because he's honest. That's what he's saying. I wouldn't have told you there were rooms if there weren't. He is the person who can be trusted. He doesn't hide the truth from us. And he says, I'm going to that place. And he says, to prepare a place for you. Now, he does not mean, I'm going to heaven and I'm going to be building. I'm going to use my carpentry skills and I'm going to be building a room for you. So you may have heard some preachers say over the years, took God six days to make the whole universe and Jesus has been building heaven and so far it's 2,000 years. So imagine what heaven is going to be like. You ever heard that? Grunt, groan, disagree, do something. It's not what Jesus meant. He did not mean, I'm going to go and build a place for you. He meant, in my going, through my death and my resurrection, I am preparing a place for you. I am opening the door for you. There is a place there which is reserved for you. And I love that idea. That when we check out here, before the Lord Jesus returns, if we pass through the valley of the shadow of death, then when we leave here and we enter into his for your peasants, I imagine. Do you hear that? Imagine. Not in the Bible. But I imagine that I'll get, I'll meet Jesus first. He'll take me to reception. He'll see that my name is in the book. There is a reservation for me. As Rhonda's name is reserved there. She'll be in room 321. I'll be in room 495-607-592. Probably need a golf cart to get me to my room, but I'm in heaven. It's reserved. It's booked. There's a place for you. Your name is reserved. If you know Jesus, if you accept him, if you follow him. Makes sense? That's what Jesus says. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And now through Jesus, because of our faith in him, we now have this warm welcome awaiting us in God's presence, Ephesians 3.12. He's the one who goes before. It's the implication of this truth, which is God is not mad at us. God is mad about us. I've said that before. And God wants to meet you. And he sent Jesus to make the introductions. I don't have time to expand this too much this morning. Just imagine, pick any high dignitary you would like in the world. Who would you like to meet most of all? Current living authority, dignitary. Who would it be? Queen of England? Nobody. Another king. Let's imagine you wanted to meet Wally Lewis. Well, Wally is so busy. It's not a good analogy if I use 
Yeah, the Queen is easy to do, but I'll try and, I'll try and do it with Wally, just to see where this goes. <clears throat> Sidetrack, pause button. When I first came to Queensland, 2003, went to Sunnybank Coffee Club, and in Sunnybank Coffee Club, there were these four guys standing in front of me at the counter, and I waited for them. And there were two guys from the church who were with me at that time, and I was buying them coffee. And these guys had ordered their coffee. Well, I didn't know they'd ordered their coffee, and so I'm waiting. And they sort of stepped back. And I thought, oh. And so I said to them, are you guys right? And they said, yeah, yeah, go right ahead. So I ordered my coffee and went and sat down. When I sat down, the two guys who I was with, two Queenslanders, did you know what I, they said to me? Do you know who those four blokes were? I said, no. Four Broncos. So I don't know if Wally Lewis was one of them. I don't think so. But Hodgson was one of them. Hodges, Hodgson. Oh, I, it's a waste of time talking to you about Broncos, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, if you wanted to meet the King, Wally Lewis, and you saw him in a coffee shop, would he know you? No. This is where the analogy breaks down terribly. But imagine that he wanted to meet you. Then he would send someone to make the introduction. He'd have his PA or his secretary or so, I don't know, he's somebody contact you. that makes sense? See, that, that sucks, that analogy. Imagine wanting to meet the Queen, or the President, or the Prime Minister, or, the Lord forbid, the leader of the opposition party, whatever your political persuasion. You just can't walk up to them and meet them. But you nearly could with Tony Abbott, couldn't you? Nearly. You won't with the Queen and you won't with Barack Obama and you won't with many other dignitaries as well. If they had a desire to meet you, they would send someone to make the arrangement, to make it possible for you to have that engagement. That's exactly what God has done in the person of Jesus. God wants to meet you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And he came, he sent Jesus in order to make those introductions. And Jesus says, I'm now returning to the Father, the one who sent me, in order that through my death and resurrection, a place will be prepared for you because these introductions that we are making, God wants you to be with him, the Father does, and you'll be with me forever. That's what Jesus says to Peter's question. Lord, where are you going? Thomas's question. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? He corrects Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it? But it's because he is honest, because he asks this, probably out of earnestness, out of desperation, Jesus being too vague. I don't understand. Where are you going? I want to be with you. It's that sort of feel that you get this incredible verse. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One of the most quoted verses. Because Thomas dared to ask the question. Jesus says, I am. I am the, not a way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Many other religious teachers will tell you that they know the way. They'll tell you about the way. They'll tell you about the truth. Or they'll tell you about how to live. Jesus doesn't say, I'll simply tell you about it. He says, I am that. It's embodied in me. It's in you knowing me and staying united with me that you get there. Another illustration. Um, a visitor to the city of Jerusalem, probably a Christian lady, wanting to post a letter, wanted to know where the, G the post office box was, didn't know where it was, went to the local shop owner, to a little shop on the corner, and said to that guy, the person, can you give me directions please to the post office, I want to post this postcard back home. 
and the shop owner gave directions. You know, you go up this street, you go left, you go down that, you go right, you go down that. And it was very complicated and complex. And he could see the confusion in her face. So he very graciously said, tell you what. And he closes the door to his shop, puts his sign on it, says back in five or ten minutes. And he says to her, I am the way. Links arms with her and walks her to the destination. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not telling us how to get there. He says, link arms with me. I am the way and I'll go with you. In our day and age, you need Jesus to be the navigator in your life. You can go from hearing to the city and if you don't know your way around the city, then you can get a thing called a refidex. You can look at a map. You can learn it and memorise it. You can give it to your wife. It won't help, but you can give it to your wife. <laughs> it doesn't help. pay for that later or in these days in our cars we have this wonderful thing we have a female voice that can tell us directions on how to get there that's likewise pretty helpful but the best thing is actually having a living person who knows the way isn't it not just the female voice on the car and we use it all the time now we've abandoned refidex that's too many family arguments and she's terrific but sometimes you don't, I don't hear it clearly. In 900 kilometres, in 900 metres, turn, you're turning left into this street. And I'm thinking, what was the name of the street? And so then occasionally, occasionally, she'll give me the, the information again just before I turn. Maybe I need to slow down, drive slower, I'm not quite sure. <clears throat> but it's much better having someone who actually knows the way because then they'll say, up here, turn left. And as you're getting closer, slow down, turning left, or whatever. So too, having the Lord Jesus as the navigator in your life, he is the one who invites us to walk with him through daily life. Report to him each morning for duty. Lord, here I am. What are we doing today? Stay open to his instructions as he leads you through the day. And he will prompt you. It will not be days and services normal. There will be times when he will say, Talk to that person. Call this person. Do this. Don't go there. And at the end of each day, keep an account. How did we do today? How did I discover God in my life today? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, it's exclusive, no one comes to the Father except through me. In him alone we have access to the Father. And we could focus more upon that, but time is racing away on me. So, Thomas, how? Do you get there? Through me, through knowing me, through walking with me, through journeying, just obeying me, doing what I want you to do in your life, and you'll get there. Philip, well, Lord, in this journey of life, when we get to the end and we're going to the Father's house, what's the Father like? Tell us about the Father. Show us the Father. And Jesus gives this amazing insight into the divine being. Um, the Lord Jesus says... Um, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe I'm in the Father and the words that I've been speaking, the deeds that I've been doing? It's not just me, it's him in me. And that when you look at me and know me, you know what he's like. We are close and intimate, we are one. We are, excuse me, not without separate identity, but we have this bond and this unity. It's plurality in oneness. It's a mystery. 
And he'll go on later in this chapter to say, actually, there is another one as well. It's the Spirit, who is just like me, another paraclete. So, Philip, look at me. Listen to me. Believe me. Now, if that's correct, and of course it is, because Jesus is the truth teller, then he is saying here, God is not remote, he's not aloof, he's not disinterested. That's not God. God is not the one who is angry with you. He's like Jesus. He's concerned. He's caring. He will correct and he will rebuke those who are incorrect or going astray. As I said before, God is not mad at us. He's mad about us. So in this passage, Peter, where am I going? I'm going to the Father's house, but I'll be back. Then I'm going to take you to be with me. Trust me. Thomas, how are you going to get there? Follow me. Link yourself with me. Let me navigate your life. Philip, show us the Father. He's just like me. You're going to love heaven because my Father is there. I'll be there and the Spirit of God will be there. And now in the meantime, let me finish with this. Until I come back, verse 12, the Lord Jesus says, if you do believe in me, then that's going to lead to you doing things. You won't just be believers who say things. You will be people who do things. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. And remarkably, Jesus says, he'll even do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I'll talk about it tonight, maybe. By greater things, he doesn't mean more stupendous miracles. What he means is more spiritually impacting and more in quantity. The Lord Jesus never preached a sermon when three people, 3,000 people became believers in one day. Peter did. The Lord Jesus never preached in Europe or America or Australia. Believers have. There is more going on in the world today on this Sunday than ever happened in the life of the Lord Jesus. That's what he meant. If you believe in me, there are things that you will do and the kingdom will grow. There'll be more things, greater things will be achieved, spiritual things. And then he'll go on to say, and that's linked through prayer, that as you have a link with God through prayer, so you'll have an influence in people's lives, and I will send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will assist you in it. So Jesus in the upper room. Time for his departure is coming. He claims that he deserves equal faith with God. He says that he's going to make room or a reservation for us in heaven, that he'll return and receive us to himself, that he is the exclusive way to the Father's house and presence, that he is the one who only, uniquely reveals what God is like and who has this amazing intimacy with the Father. And he is the one who hears and who answers our prayers. We are to trust him in all of life's circumstances, to believe him. So now, if you believe, then continue to invite Jesus to be the navigator of your daily life. If you're still on the way, if you don't yet believe, and study the life and teaching of Jesus, read the Gospel of John, because you'll come to understand who Jesus is, what he claimed, and what he wants of you. And when you believe, that'll lead to doing good works, just like Jesus did. It'll lead to praying in his name for the Father's glory. And it'll lead to an experience of the Holy Spirit's presence in you. It's a great chapter. I commend it to you. Have a read of it again this afternoon. Our time is gone. 
I'm going to invite you to stand with me and I'm going to pray. Let's stand together. Before I pray, you can, you know, just quietly bow your heads if you like or just quietly think, meditate yourselves. What has God said to you today? What has he reminded you of? What does he want you to do in response to this? Then whatever he has said to you, make sure that you do it. The scripture says that our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like him, like his glorious body. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have a citizenship in heaven because of you. Thank you that you have prepared a place for us by your death and resurrection. And thank you that you are coming back to take us to be with you forever in that wonderful place of your presence where we'll enjoy intimate fellowship as well as growth experiences with the Father. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would come and navigate our lives until that day. You'd fill us with your spirit and that you'd help us to be open and honest, inclusive and accepting to achieve your purposes. Lord, bless us as we go from this place. Go before us into all of our conversations, especially today, and help us to be your witnesses, showing you to others. Live in us, live through us. And Lord Jesus, bring glory to the Father. We pray in your name. Everybody said? Bless you, everybody. Have a great week. You can be seated.